0: Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again, increase in us we pray, unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our veins. Church, we need your power in us.
1: God's talking right now, and he's not talking about what I'm
0: doing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And here's what he was talking about. He took my mind back to the Tower of Babel. Does anybody remember that story in the Old Testament? Where after the flood, the people decided that that they didn't ever want to experience that again. So out of their own ability, they would design and build a tower that would reach to the heavens. And when it was all said and done, God, I believe the King James says, confounded and I know the American Standard says he confused their language where or, or they couldn't communicate when, when they would say something the other party wouldn't hear what they were saying they would hear what they thought they were saying it caused a confusion and they couldn't build the tower and God began to talk to me about that this morning and, and he, he just dropped it in my heart he said that's what all of these church configurations around the world look like to me he said, it looks like people are not wanting to experience what, what the end really looks like, that there really is a heaven and a hell. It looks like that people are not wanting to experience that. So they gather and they begin to make plans. A lot of times we call it a doctrinal statement. Uh, we, begin to, we begin to make these blueprints, that we're going to build a structure and it's going to, somehow this structure that we build is going to reach to the heavens. And somehow this structure we're building is going to save the world. And guess what? None of us got a Over 2,000 years of effort. And it's still not even close. And we look at it and wonder and then then we begin to exhibit insanity because we keep doing the same thing, just more intensely expecting a different outcome. And I realize as as I was pondering this and God was talking about this, that God is saying that it's never been His design that we take the design out of His hands. That He had a way. And He demonstrated it in the beginning. He demonstrated it when Christ came. And He's demonstrated it all through the years. But we as New Testament believers have this way founded on better promises, purchased by precious blood, and given, given the power of Almighty God Himself not just to influence us, but to indwell us and work out from us Giving us the most wonderful power the universe has ever known and the most capable. And yet we ignore the fact that He lives in us. And we continue to try to do what makes us look good, what makes us sound good, what makes us more successful in the eyes of the world. We build edifices and say it's to Him. We have big meetings and say it's to glorify Him, when in reality all it does is glorify some some preaching team. And in reality, He never intended it to be that way. And I know that's boldness. You need to be thinking relationally with god to hear this but i'm telling you most of that has accomplished some good in the earth but it hasn't accomplished god in this earth and that's serious now i can i'm I'm going to say some of what, what i've prepared but not a lot of it what what i think i hear god saying is we need a new reformation now that does not mean that we're going to go back and do it like Martin Luther done it. And I, I'm not even going there. Martin Luther done a great job in, in starting something. But if you were to look at his personal life now, most of you would think he was not even a man of God. But here's what he did. He said salvation don't come through all of this stuff. Salvation comes by faith through Christ. And folks... We say that we want people to get saved and that salvation is through Christ and the moment we get them to say that prayer then we stack on all of this stuff to build that whatever that tower that's going to get them to the heavenlies when reality they touched God the moment that He came and claimed them and drew them to Himself. But somehow all of our organizations are afraid of that. And I'm going to use a I hope, a very general example, but it's real. But I'm gonna to try to keep away from locations and names because I don't wanna hurt people. But at one point, there was a strong and a thriving move of God represented across a large segment of of the native population in, in the North Country. And it was To get it off the ground, we had to follow God because we knew He was doing something and to keep up with it. We couldn't do it like it had ever been done before. And so, in in coming together as leaders and trying to hear God, we've done everything different. And through that, we began to see... Something of, of a pattern, something, and not not a pattern like you would hold to completely, but something at least a way forward, maybe a pathway. And so we began to teach other groups to do it. And then at one point, I just knew for certain that 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 it was supposed to go just all across. And, and, and reach a whole group, people group at least. And then from that would go out into the earth. Because somewhere in it I found out there was no points of sanity anywhere on the earth. When it comes to the way they were doing things. It was not biblical. It wasn't happening. And I'm not saying I know it all. I'm saying if it hadn't been biblical it would have won the world by now. Because we're talking about the power of God here. And <clears throat> so what happened is... is some of this stuff was done under, the, under an organization that, that was not organic at all. It, it was just organized. And as soon as, as soon as they were able to get their influence back in it, they pulled it back into their pattern. And standing from afar, I thought, man, they killed it all. But they didn't. Because they were will perishable seed. And I talked with people on this trip, I, uh, Chelsea and Leslie and I went further into, into native country than, than the rest of the team did, and I talked to some people there. And I really thought, I I thought, man, there's a few people here that that are still doing something, but I thought he's gone. And and people began to talk to me about a little pocket in this housing area, and a little pocket in this housing area, and a little pocket in this housing area. And I began to calculate in my mind, realizing there's probably two, three hundred people still there. And they haven't abandoned it all. It's not dead in them. They're ministering to their housing. They, they're, they're going there and they're having coffee with grandma that's got cancer and just uh, leading her to Jesus and hoping that God will do something and somewhere in the midst of it all she gets healed. And they don't know why, but, but they're just doing it. Nobody can claim it. Nobody can put a name on it. Nobody can put a doctrinal uh, fence around it. But it's happening. The imperishable seed. Uh, it's, it's coming through the, the concrete of, of officialness. It's coming through all of the things that, that have been piled on top of it, and it's peeking out. Why? Because the life of God's in that thing. And so we began to probe a little bit and say, you know, what does it take to draw this together where it can be a little bit more unified effort? And, and their answer is just, just some help, some oversight, some leading. <laughs> That's all it takes. So, out of that, I just want to say we need a new reformation. Because here's what reformation means. It's not a religious term at all, but it's making changes with the intent of restoring something to its formal usefulness and purpose. (laughs) But there's also a word that's translated reformation in the book of Hebrews and I didn't I didn't go into all of that because I knew I wouldn't have time to cover all this but I want I want to get some foundation laid here but there's a word that said that all of this stuff the, the the religion the the ritual the the things that we do it, it's there because the holy spirit is giving his his people, his church, if you would, form. It's giving, it's giving them something that the world can see while he works through and begins to be who he is. But it says it's there until a time of reformation. And then it indicates that, that at that time of reformation, all of that stuff will broken be broken away. Why? Because it says you can't come into the holy place Until all that stuff is broken away. You can't get into the complete presence. You can't get into the complete function until you break all that stuff apart and come boldly. You come boldly. We come boldly before the throne of grace and there obtain mercy to help in the time of need. Now, the word that's translated Reformation in that passage I've already lost my outline, so we don't need it anyway. The word there is in the in the Latin, it's diorthesis, which we've gotten our word in the English and English Latin combination of orthopedics. Now you think about orthopedics for a minute. Sometimes a lamb is so messed up that it has to be broken. Painfully broken. And then restructured and and given form, given support by by outer things so that it can grow back straight. But for that lamb to ever get the fullness of power, all of the forms and, and all of the braces and all of that has to be taken away so that it can develop and be what it needs to be. Now, I'm not saying everything that we've done in the past 2,000 years has been wrong. I'm saying that's been forms and braces and, and whatever's necessary for the Holy Spirit to break some things in us so that we can begin to see that there is a way to do this and it has always been God's intent and it has never been the intention of God for men to take it and say, okay, God, we got this. Now, if we can just go get the world to believe like we believe, we'll save the world. And that world will look like independent Christ family church. (laughs) (laughs) Or that world will look like my Baptist organization. Or it'll look like my Assembly of God organization. But no, we don't want that, so we're going to be Pentecostal, or that'll win the world. We're going to be fundamental. That'll win the world. None of us has done that. Why? Because God gave us a way and it started in the Garden of Eden. He walked among his people. And he said, come on, you listen to me, and I'll teach you the way of life. I'll teach you what it means to live like I live. And I can't you just see Adam and me walking through the garden? What an aw- awesome thing it must have been to walk with God that way. And before it seems to be chronologically, maybe before he was, was created, that God took Adam and he showed him the animals and whatever God called them. said, yeah, that'll work. We'll call that cow cow. I know probably in another language, but we don't know that it was in Hebrew. <laughs> we don't know. However God communed, they were communing, and it came out in English that a cow is a cow and a pig is a pig and a bull is a bull and God was okay with that because we were influencing God and God was influencing us. And then, the one thing God says now, and what's this tree? It has function, but it's not for you to be partaking of. Just leave it alone. That one thing Adam and Eve had to do. And so here we go. But we don't go on a 3,900 and something year journey of God passing judgment on his people. We go on a, that long a journey of God reaching in and saving His people. Understanding that in their present form, the people could not do what He had planned to do. But yet reaching in and delivering them. Anytime they would turn their mind back to Him, He would deliver them and bring them a little further. Until He brought Jesus into the world. And he said, in the fullness of time. Brought forth His Son. And God had determined that there's no way that man could fully fulfill the plan of God without God Himself indwelling them. So He brought forth Jesus, and Jesus showed us how it's done. Now, I just want to talk to you for a minute how that was done. Jesus immediately, when He saw that He was called, when the Holy Spirit ascended from from heaven and then rested upon him. Jesus said, alright guys, set up the tent. By the way, get those TV cameras rolling and we're going to have a discipleship
0: meetings.
1: Is that the way it happened? No. The Holy Spirit that came on him drove him. Look at Luke. It says it drove him into the wilderness. But the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Tell Paul that. <laughs> but he drove him into the wilderness and he came up out of that place that Joy was talking about. He came up out of there in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now he'd gone through that with his trials over. Now he still had a cross before him. He still had a life to him. And it wasn't easy for him. And Jesus told his disciples, now I'm going to go back to the disciples in a minute, but as he was whining this thing, he, he said, now I want you to go and tell the good news to all people. So I want, you to, I want you to think about this now. He hadn't died yet. What was the good news? God has come to live among men. <laughs> And before he even died, he said, now, this is happening, but I want you to go. First he said, I want you to receive the Spirit. Then he did it, and I said, now, you've seen all this, and you know I'm alive, but I don't want you to do anything until you go and wait and receive the promise of the Father upon you. You think that could have been for just that generation? How could it have been? Because if all of the word applies to all generations, that means all of the word applies to all generations. So, the way Jesus did it was to walk by and watch and and hear what his father said. How do we know that? But he said, I don't do anything unless the father does it. Father works and I work. So he walked by somebody and he catches his attention and he looks at it and if there's a connection, he says, come on, follow me. He didn't explain what he was going to do. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers again. What does that mean? But there was something so compelling about the Spirit of God in him that they followed him and he poured his life into those 12 men. That's the way he done it. Yeah, people gathered and miracles happened and all that. But those were the tools that happened because of the life of a man that had the confidence to look at other men and say, come on, follow me. I'm going to teach you to be like I am. And what a challenge that is to the American culture. Because we want to say, Caleb, well, come on, follow Jesus. Oh, don't look at me. Follow Jesus. But Jesus told him, you follow me. He said, well, that's at Jesus, did it? Then why did Paul say, follow me as I follow Christ? Because we have the responsibility. If we we have the presence of God dwelling in us and working out from us, if we have all of that, I'm telling you, it's more than just a Shabbat. It's the presence of God that's going to work out through us. And He's going to touch our world if we will allow Him to. And He's going to expect us to have a response. I'm gonna use you again. <laughs> but there's something that goes from me to thread every time I see you. And man, I'm gonna lay hold of this young man until that goes away, you know, what is never gonna go away. I'm not I can't tell him exactly what it is, but I know some things about my God. He's the Savior and you know that. He's the Lord and you know that. But he's also the healer. He's a worker of miracles. He's the one one that created us. And that means that he gathered the dust together and breathed on it. and, And it began to live. So spare parts is no problem. He don't have to go down to Napa to fix us. He knows how it's done. And if we walk with him, he's got the power of God. The power of himself. The power that works through us. And if we begin to live like that, and I don't have the numbers together, but I can tell you if half of the people sitting here this morning go out of here realizing that hey, it's really the power of God that lives in me, and you begin to live like that, and you go about your daily life saying, God... Ah, I'm I'm waiting for you to draw my attention to somebody. And then when He draws your attention, saying, I'm going to lay hold of that person. I'm going to draw them in. I'm I'm going to teach them what I know. I'm going to talk to them about what I know. And if they will let me, I'm going to spend the next six months to a year just pouring everything I know into this person. I'm going to teach them how I pray. I'm going to teach them what it is to to read the Word of God and and actually look at it and let it speak to me. I'm going to teach them what it is to hear God, I'm going to reproduce in them the Christ that is reproducing in me. And guess what? If we do that, we'll be three quarters more full in six months to a year. But nobody went through the numbers but here, here's the numbers. If you start with one, just one of you gets it. And that begins to reproduce year after year. Here it is, in 15 and a half years. It will reach the population of the world. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? Go into all the world and preach what? The good news, and that is that we have a king. We have a king. And he dwells in us. He works out through us. He ministers to us. And no matter what comes my way, I still have a king. And it will cause us, again, referring to what Joy said, it will cause us to talk differently. Instead of talking about the mess that's in our lives and the mess that's in our culture, we'll look at this culture and say, I have a hope that God will deliver these methamphetamines. I have a hope that my family will change and they'll start listening to God. I'm not going to talk about the generation of my family that have fallen away. I have a hope, a blessed hope, that the Spirit of God will lay hold of my family, that will lay hold of my culture, that will cause the church to begin to minister to young mothers that are, that are trying to raise children alone, that will lay hold of children and draw them out of the mess they're in and into the reality that is God. Yes. And here's something I was said that i had never seen it. And then I mean immediately started to be going through in my mind years of study and checking him out. I do that. Hey, check me out. If you haven't had years of study, then get into it and find out if what I'm telling you is really scriptural or not. But that's what happened, is it, Dolby made a statement, boy, all of a sudden it's. But here's what he says is Jesus didn't go and get these old men that we see in pictures with gray beards and we say this is a picture of the disciples. No, he went and laid hold on the young ones. Probably the oldest one that he called was about 19, 20 years old. Now how can we be so sure of that? Because it was some for some of them it was 60 years before they ever wrote and it became our New Testament. So they had to be young. He laid hold on people your age. He laid a hold on people your age. And he began to pour in and said, come on, I'm going to show you something. And you know, it worked. You hear me? It worked. And they began to see something. They began to do something. Now, Let's just go ahead and prove this a little bit. When Paul started traveling and establishing churches, we think that's the beginning of the flow of the gospel. No one was. It was probably up to a couple of years, probably less than that, but up to a couple of years before Paul actually got saved, after Jesus died and was resurrected. Now, you can trace in Scripture at least 14 and probably 17 years after Paul's... Conversion before he began to do anything other than check this thing out. Paul had to overcome his mind. And I'm telling you, some people that, that have a lot of education, you have to overcome your mind to figure it out. Sorry. What's he do? Paul began to see what was happening. And he, first of all, it says that, that he spent some years just traveling around through the desert. And if you follow it on a map, you see it's the same area that the children of Israel went through. What was he doing? Paul had a had a tremendous education in the Hebrew tradition. And he was going back where, where the where the Hebrews first got the law and they first started to establish things. And he was walking that area looking it all over, trying to figure it out. What he had experienced was so different from anything that had been in his religious upbringing that he was trying to figure it out. Then you'll find that he went to Tarsus where he was born and he lived there for about three years. And just started gathering people together and talking to them about the good news. And, and the, the good news was, was that we've got a king that can overcome all of this. And we've got a king that can draw all this together. And then before he ever started out, he went to Jerusalem to the elders. And he laid out before them all that God had shown him. And they said, you know, we can't argue with this. This is what God is doing. Then Paul went out and began to draw together groups of believers and began to establish something something where they could help to support themselves and where, where they could begin to have a support group around them. But well, what have they been doing until that? Man, they made this thing go around the world they left Jerusalem. Well, most of them had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And as they left Jerusalem, they left empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they didn't know much. They didn't have a New Testament. They could get up before people and say, turn to First Corinthians 2, verse 14. They didn't have that. What did they have? They had the power of a rushing mighty wind that came and filled their house where they were sitting. And it began to permeate their being. And people on the street looked up and said, what does that mean? Are they drunk? Peter said, they're not drunk like you're thinking. He didn't say they're not drunk. He said, they're not drunk like you're thinking. (laughs) <laughs> and it, but that went from there around the world. And when Paul began to travel, he would go to those places and pull together believers. You don't find much record of Paul having a, an evangelistic meeting. He was going and pulling together believers through relationship, pulling together those and beginning to establish places where people could get, get spiritual sustenance where they could be developed. And we have gone way beyond what people were doing and began to worship the development and the establishing and all of that. And we call it a pattern. We call it all of this when there was nothing of that set forth. It's just people going forth in the power of the Spirit and touching other people and saying, man, I don't know that much about this, but it sure has changed my life. And that's why you'll see me often in these services laying whole spiritually of the Addies and the Annas and the Elses and, and the Sadies and and yeah I don't really care if it embarrasses them a little bit. Spiritually I'm gonna lay hold on them because they can change their world. If they change their world they'll change the world. But instead in a lot of the churches we try to teach our young how to be more like the people around them so that they can win the world. How has that worked? They have gotten generation after generation of our young people. Again, in the Old Testament, there's a story of a man named Shanna and the people that followed him. The the Philistines had swept down for year after year and stolen the crop from Israel. There came a time when this man and his people stood in that field and said, I've left this field my last time. We're going to keep our crop. And I'm telling you, it's time the church stood up around our young people and said, we've lost our last crop of young people. We're going to stand up and we're going to lay hold of them. And we're not going to pound Scripture into them. We're not going to pound uh, the kinds of things in them that drive them away. But we're going to say, come to the life that we found. We're going to demonstrate the life of Christ. We're going to teach them how to release the Spirit. And we're not going to worship the teaching. We're going to worship the Spirit. God himself has determined that there's a time. that's happening right now. And I've, I've told you about two guys, myself and Dolby. I'll tell you no, Damon's been taking a look at it. That's Damon's story. I'm not going to preach it for him. But the thing of it is, there's many of us have been looking at this saying, okay, there's something happening now all over this world. How do we become a part of the gathering? How do we become a part of, of finding the pieces and moving them around the earth so that they can more powerfully fit together? And without even knowing that we're not a big church, and we probably, you say, this is bad, that's not a positive profession. We're probably not, but we're probably never going to be a big church. But the thing is, this church has had a big influence. Yes. Because your faithfulness in giving has enabled people in Mexico, people on board, people in many of the states, of the United States, people in native countries, even people in Africa and other places, your faithfulness in believing in what God is doing and giving of the, of, the, of the money, your income, and giving of yourself, your faithfulness has caused the influence of this church to reach in amazing places. Why? Because we believe the same word. And I, I wish that I could have somehow made a video that told the story of how powerfully these young people were touched as they just touched another culture and saw the possibility of, of God in that culture. How how Elsa and Anna and Becca were looking at it, and I just, I'm not gonna to try to say their words because I wouldn't get it right, and I don't want them looking at me saying you lied. <laughs> but, i watched through their eyes. I, I told somebody at one time, the, more, the thing I'm enjoying most about this is I'm getting to see this through man's eyes, through Elsa's eyes, through Becker's eyes. Oh, hold, hold on those young people. They have a powerful, powerful future in God, but it's not going to happen unless we change how we're doing things, unless we allow God to bring another reformation in here and we break some painful things. You know, sometimes we put so much investment in in, in the word of our fathers that we forget that there is a word of the Father right now for this generation. I'm telling you that the ancestors that established the church in this nation—they never intended us for us to camp what they camp. They intended for us to move it along and move it along, but instead. We began glorifying the tools. They were tools of the Creator. We glorified them and said, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. You know, for their salvation, it probably was good enough for them, but it didn't win the world. And God wants us to go on and win the world. Some generation is going to do it, and I pray, God, let
0: me be part of that generation.
1: Let, let me just at least see the beginning of it, God. I, I know I won't see it carried completely through, but let me see the beginning of it. Not too many years back, I, I was preaching and I said something about the, the vision that God has given me is much bigger than my years. That we'll never see it fulfilled. And there's a guy who came up to me afterwards and rebuked me soundly saying, You shouldn't say that. The vision God has given you will be fulfilled in your years. Confess it. And I said, I'm telling you the truth. You don't understand how big my vision is.
0: <laughs> my vision
1: reaches this whole world. And a whole world that uh, appreciates the fact that God is Creator and that He made this this for us. That's how big my vision is. I'll never see it in my lifetime. But maybe these young people will. And if they don't, at least they'll have an idea because of having walked with God. They'll have an idea of what's possible. When Jesus left, He told His disciples, You go into all the world and declare the good news. And the disciples still weren't really embracing the cross. They he had told them it's coming, and they still weren't sure about how that was all going to work out. And they were, something in them leaped because they stayed with it until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they realized from their Old Testament learning that this was Almighty God that had come to dwell for good among men, in men, and work out through men. We don't wait for the presence of God. We try to prepare ourselves to be aware of the presence of God and we wait for His Word. When His Word begins to express to go forth from us, it goes forth with the power to break the concrete. It goes forth with the power to cause something to happen. The word is indestructible and imperishable. And if it's in our heart growing someday, that's probably some of the some of the difficulty you're feeling kicking and screaming is because it that's that word of God trying to break through. The Spirit of God poking poking into concrete and saying, you're just change your thinking, we'll break through and change something. But we've been afraid to do it. Why? Because we've been taught to question it is somehow wrong. But I'm telling you, question everything. Question everything. Because God's got the answers. And if you're not ready for the answers, he'll tell you. He'll tell you, you know, but God God doesn't, he doesn't give you a timeout card. If you ask him a question you're not ready for the answer yet, he'll tell you, you're not ready for that. Just keep moving. There's questions I ask him all the time. He tells me, just keep moving. Or he just ignores that I said anything. Because he's God. And he knows my capability. And I don't need to demonstrate to him my capability. He already knows it. I'll just move forward realizing that he indwells me and he indwells me with everything he's got. There's no pieces of the Holy Spirit in me. It's the whole real. How does he indwell everybody? Like? I don't know. I'm not God. That's a question he's not even acknowledged that I might have asked him. But he does. How do I know that? Because he said so. And he's God. So I want to leave this challenge with you. That when you go forth out of here as you go forward realizing that there is a part of the expression of God in this, in this uh, city that you take in. <coughs> and you take in all your relationship. And there's also somebody in your world that God wants you to lay hold of and say, come on, I'm going to be a part of your life for six months. I'm going to be a part of your life for a year. And I'm gonna, I'm, I am I see the hunger. I'm going to teach you about God, and gonna teach you about the presence of God. And you stay with them, and God will change them. I was reminded that over and over again on this trip, as I ran into over and over again, people that we saw delivered out of some of the most horrendous situations. But now they're serving God. And now they're saying things like, we know how to do it. And they do. They just do it house to house person to person, knowing that somehow the presence that's on them is going to change the presence that's on you. And that is how God works. So now ask yourself through the week, God, how do I have to change my thinking to be a part of what you're going to do? Because I'll tell you He's going to do it. It's just a matter of whether you're going to be a part or not. But God, what do I need to change in my thinking to be a part of what you're going to be doing on the earth? Thank you for coming God bless you we approve. in the